So here's today's transformational truth. You ready? Jesus took your inferiority and he gave you his authority. Welcome to the Transformational Truth Podcast, where we're committed to eliminating the obstacles that take the joy out of life and leadership. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. So here's today's transformational truth. You ready? Jesus took your inferiority and he gave you his authority. So today we're going to talk about healing from one of the most common under-the-radar wounds that will often endeavor to hold us back in our life and in our leadership, and it will absolutely steal our peace. And listen, if, if we don't intentionally lean into the wounds in our soul, okay, if we don't trust the Holy Spirit to guide us through this journey of healing, we'll end up going through life looking for ways to medicate our wounds rather than heal from them. Okay, and when it comes to the wounds of the heart, despite popular belief, listen to me very carefully, time by itself does not heal all things. It absolutely does not. That is a fallacy. Time alone merely incubates pain, and it keeps us from the lives that God wants us to live. Now, yes, it's true. Initially, it can hurt to heal. No question about it. But living your life to avoid the process of healing is dangerous. In fact, in 19 years of ministry, I have discovered that when it comes to being hurt, we essentially have two options. Okay, write these down. Number one, acknowledge our pain and take responsibility for healing. Or option number two, ignore our pain, and eventually find ourselves being held accountable for the ways we chose to numb it. Okay, let, let, me, let me repeat those. Let me say those one more time. When it comes to being hurt and processing pain, we have two options. We can acknowledge our pain and take responsibility for healing, or we can ignore our pain and eventually be held accountable for the ways we chose to numb it. And listen, it is the Father's good desire to see everything in your soul come into divine alignment with everything God said is true about your born-again spirit. The psalmist said it this way, Psalm 147, verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted, He binds up their wounds. Uh, it was in John's epistle that it's recorded that it is the Father's desire and it is heart that, that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Yeah. And the soul is where we get wounded, not the spirit. Okay. Your spirit has been perfected in Christ. Your born again spirit is, is righteous and holy and perfect. That's your identity. But it is in the soul where the heart and the mind reside that we pick up pain and we pick up wounds as we go through life. And, and it is the nature of your heavenly father to heal his children. Okay. And God's vision for your life, because God does have a vision for your life leader. Listen to me. It is for you to be whole. It is for you to be healed. It is for you to be full of joy and peace and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that God longs to make some life transforming trades in your life. 
So listen, if you're navigating some pain right now, if you're working through a healing process of your own right now, what I'm about to share with you is really good news because God wants to make some trades. He said he wants to trade ashes for beauty, okay? He wants to go ahead and take all of your ashes and he wants to give you beauty instead. He wants to trade your mourning for joy. He wants to replace your spirit of heaviness with a garment of praise. This is the heart of your father. So today I feel led to talk to you about a wound that runs really, really deep, okay? And this specific wound creates a lot of relational chaos. Uh, It will wreak havoc on your closest relationships, okay? It will hinder, if you're married, it will hinder your marriage relationship. If you're single, it will hinder the way you relate to yourself emotionally, spiritually. It places a strain on your oldest relationships, regardless of how long you've been friends or how long you've known somebody. This specific wound, if we go through life unhealed, will begin to strain those relationships. And oftentimes people around us will begin to maybe withdraw a little bit because because we're reacting and acting out of unhealed wounds. And last but not least, the kind of pain that I'm talking about or the wound that we need to address today will prevent you from building new relationships. Okay, this is the kind of wound that sets your mind ablaze with thoughts of self-rejection, maybe self-sabotage, and this chronic thought that you're, n- that you're not enough, that you're never going to be enough, and, and you don't have what it takes to become enough. Okay, the specific pain that I'm referring to is the wound of inferiority. Uh, let's begin by defining it. What is inferiority? Well, the definition of inferiority is as follows. It is the state of believing that you are less valuable or less worthy than anyone else around you. Okay, let me repeat that. Inferiority, the definition, the official definition, is the state of believing you are less valuable or less worthy than anybody else around you. And this wound in your heart will convince you that you have very little to offer in life, uh, and it'll have you counting yourself out of every good thing that God wants to bring into your life. You'll end up always keeping people sort of at an arm's length for fear that they might discover how you actually see yourself and how you feel about yourself. Uh, Or sometimes you may do the exact opposite. Maybe you overcompensate for your sense of inferiority and you try to appear overconfident or superior to the people around you. In reality, it's just a smokescreen. It's designed to to keep anyone from seeing the you that you think they would see if they got close enough to you. And and let me be clear here, okay? The diabolical deception that festers at the root of inferiority is not merely the lie that you're not enough. It is the lie that you don't possess the ability to ever be enough. And it's not that you don't think God's able to do good things. This is where it gets kind of tricky because you you have faith that God's able to do good things. You're just not sure he'll do good things for you. You're not sure he wants to do something good in you. So here's what we're going to do, okay? Together with the truth of God's word, we're going to dismantle this, this diabolical deception that is wreaking havoc in the lives of believers all over the globe. I want to begin by identifying a few ways inferiority hinders the health of our soul, okay? Real quick, four signs of inferiority. See if any of these sound familiar. Number one, we actually tackled this in the last episode of Transformational Truths, but we have to bring it up today because it is a chronic classic uh, symptom that inferiority is sort of running the show. Chronic comparison. 
Okay, inferiority will cause you to chronically compare yourself with others. Uh, it makes it really difficult to celebrate other people or or to simply enjoy your, your own life because you feel stuck in this loop of comparison, right? So you end up comparing your life against their life. You end up comparing your accomplishments against their accomplishments, um, your relationships against their relationships, even your family or your kids against other people's family or their children. Why? Because inferior thinking will set you on the mission of finding value by finding someone who appears to have less value than you. And every time you meet new people, uh, you can't even enjoy the interaction because the question running through your mind will be, are, do they have more value than I do? Okay, and, and you'll wind up either A, condemning yourself to prove yourself, okay, or B, uh, kind of pushing these people away because you feel threatened by, by your perception of their value versus your own. Okay, and listen to me. A believer who's always trying to prove himself can never be himself. The more you compare, the less you can rest in Christ and the less worthy you feel. Because in the trap of comparison, you compare the best highlights of someone else's uh, life against your real life and your real situation. And you measure their perceived strengths against your perceived weaknesses. Uh, so when you compare, it is nearly impossible to ever see yourself as quote unquote enough, right? You perpetually feel inferior. So to alleviate the pain of feeling worthless, here's what we tend to do. We tend to fabricate new projects in life to keep us busy. Why? Because busy makes us feel like we're earning value. Busy, when we look at other people's lives and we start to compare and we feel inferior to them, we just find ways to, to, to fill this time and fill the space because we feel like we've got to perpetually catch up to the people that are around us. All right, so chronic comparison, what, one of the classic signs that we're wrestling with the wound of inferiority. Number two, we're hypersensitive to criticism. Now look, let's be honest, okay? Initially, nobody is crazy about criticism, myself included. But the healthy and whole version of us learns in time that not all criticism is created equal, okay? And some of it shared with the right heart is an absolute gift that helps us see the blind spots in our lives, in our leadership, and in our relationships. Uh, this, is, this is one of the symptoms of inferiority that keeps our marriage stuck, it keeps our relationship with our kids stuck, or our relationships with our team members stuck. Uh, because we just get hypersensitive to criticism. We already think we don't have much value when we're, when we're wrestling with the wound of inferiority. So criticism feels like an attack on whatever little value we have left. Okay, so when inferiority sits in the driver's seat of our life, we don't respond to criticism, we react to it. Okay, and it's usually really poorly. Uh, you'll interpret any critique as this like malicious attack, and the response is often over the top. Uh, if it's not over the top um, uh, exteriorly, in other words, you might not show people your over the top reaction, you might internalize it. But inside, it's over the top. Like you might get some criticism from somebody you work with, some uh, constructive criticism, and you might like publicly in front of them say, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But man, you go back to your office and fume. Why? Because there is a wound of inferiority somewhere in the heart that has not healed. And, and here's another point, okay? on this topic of being hypersensitive to criticism. Inferiority makes it nearly impossible to admit our mistakes or even acknowledge our limitations. It, in this way, uh, inferiority will often mask itself as righteous passion. 
Okay, when in reality, it's just an attempt to grasp whatever little sense of worth we feel like we, we have left. Um, if I'm wrestling with the wound of inferiority, uh, looking at my limitation or acknowledging my mistake, that is very, very threatening because I've placed my value in being right enough or being right enough times to make up for what feels like a lack of worth or value. Now, here's the result. The result is we either push people away directly or over time, they walk away on their own out of the fatigue of always having to walk on eggshells around us. Either way, it can ruin what could have been life-giving relationships. All right, so symptom number two of inferiority, hypersensitive to criticism. Let's look at number three, always anticipating the worst case scenario. I'm not gonna spend a lot, a lot of time here. It's self-explanatory, but this is one of the most common manifestations of inferiority. Uh, once it sets up camp in our life, uh, it convinces you of your inability to get anything right. So your new default setting will become to anticipate how everything could go wrong, okay? So you're probably always gonna be uh, Debbie Downer in staff meetings. You're, al you're probably always gonna be uh, negative Nancy. And if your name's uh, Debbie or Nancy, I'm sorry, no offense, uh, just, an just an expression. Um, you're probably gonna be that person that was like, oh geez, the sky's always falling. What is the deal? Why do you always look at what can go wrong? Why are you always the one at the table that's telling people why this won't work and why that won't work? And well, the, the probably at the root of it, you're wrestling with your own inferiority. You, this is the lens that you've adopted to not only see yourself, but now you see the world through that same lens. And thoughts of losing replace thoughts of winning, okay? Perpetually falling short uh, will replace crossing the finish line. And imagining failure will feel more natural than the anticipation of accomplishment. You, you, you literally start thinking you can and start believing you can't. Uh, and at the end, unfortunately, the most tragic part is that fear begins to feel more natural to you than faith. One more, okay. One more symptom of inferiority is perfectionism. Listen, perfection is the enemy of progress, right? Old axiom. Uh, but perfection is often evidence of the presence of inferiority, right? This one can be hard to detect. Here's why. Because our culture rewards the idea of the pursuit of perfection. And inferiority will tell you that you have to obtain perfection if you're ever going to achieve worth. And it's a lie. And it sets you on the treadmill of performance. And it's exhausting. And it steals whatever little bit of joy you've got left that, that this wound of inf inferiority left you, okay? <clears throat> it's also notable that this manifestation of inferiority shows up in extreme competitiveness. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time there. Uh, but it's true. If you find yourself extremely competitive and it's wreaking havoc on your relationships, it's probably because of an old wound of inferiority. Because the reason, here's the reason. Uh, you reason that if you win enough, maybe you'll become enough. Let me say that again. Inferiority will lie to you and tell you that if you win enough, you'll become enough. All right, but now I wanna share with you three powerful gospel truths that can heal us from the pain of inferiority who's ready. Number one, inferiority is rooted in who you were, not who you are. Okay, listen to me carefully. The enemy always traffics in the past. And inferiority is often nothing more than the enemy feeding your mind with thoughts of who you used to be to keep you from discovering who you've become in Christ. And that's what makes this type, this type of pain so, so tricky. 
Because in large part, many of the attributes of inferiority used to be true about you. Okay, let me be really clear here. Before Christ, we weren't enough. (laughs) Okay, and no matter how hard we tried in our own strength, we could never become enough. Before Christ, our best efforts on our best days fell horribly short. Before Christ, uh, we couldn't win, or at the very least, we could never win enough to be enough. That's all true before Christ. And over time, all of our losses convinced us that at best we were just losers fighting to win. So that someday, if we won enough, maybe we could become something different than what we were. But ladies and gentlemen, I have a gospel truth that can set you free from this lie of inferiority. Listen to me. The moment you place your faith in Christ, God placed your life in Christ. Yes. (laughs) And because Christ is more than enough, you ready for this? You'll never again not be enough. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Let me read it to you from the Passion Translation. My old identity, that old inferior me, has been co-crucified with Christ, no longer lives. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God, who loves me so much that he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. Listen to me carefully. The old you. The I can never win enough to be enough, always falling short, built to lose, can never do enough to be uh, right. That version of you died with Christ. And now, Christ is living his life through you. Ah, goodness. There'll never come a day where you're not enough. Because the God who is more than enough abides in you. He lives in you. And he's he's inviting you to let him live his life through you. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Okay, let me be clear about about this, by the way. He's talking about being baptized into Christ. All right. Uh, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. Take it to the bank. That old inferior, not enough version of you no longer exists. He or she died with Christ. Wow. So that you now, live the more than enough life of Christ. Well, if that's true, then, Pastor Travis, if that's true, then why do I struggle with this old inferiority? Okay, listen to me carefully. You don't struggle with inferiority. You struggle with outdated thoughts trying to convince you that you're not enough. Okay, you've got old programming, you've got old thoughts attempting to dictate your new life in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that Jesus, the Son of God, is living his life in you, and he's living his life through you. Part of healing is simply renewing our minds with who Christ says we are now. Because if we don't renew our minds with who Christ says we are now, we're only left with old programming of who we used to think we were. That's why in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul was led to pen this famous declaration, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because your new identity is righteous. Your new identity in Christ is holy. You're not an underachiever. You are an overcomer. 
Let me say it again. You're not an underachiever. You're an overcomer. You're built to win because the only DNA you have living in your spirit is the one who never loses. Yes, you're going to make mistakes, but because of Christ in you, your mistake is no longer what makes you. You'll make mistakes, but your mistakes don't make you. Thoughts of inferiority are connected to who you used to be, not who you are in Christ. All right, second gospel truth that'll help you heal from the pain of inferiority. Your identity doesn't come from what people have called you, but from the one who's claimed you. Man, that'll preach. Your identity doesn't come from the come from what people have called you, it comes from the one who's claimed you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Listen to me carefully. When you were adopted into the divine family, your father gave you a son's identity. Okay. And, and listen, sonship and the, and the, uh, the title of son, this, this simply speaks to our placement in the family of God and our authority in the family of God. So whether you're a man or you're a woman, uh, positionally speaking, you're a son. And don't worry about it, ladies. Um, if, I have to, if I have to be the bride of Christ, you can be a son. <laughs> when you were adopted into the divine family, your father gave you a son's identity. And everything else that anyone has ever called you had to bow to the one who claimed you. That's right. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Just like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, the Father gave you his righteousness and declared that everything that belongs to the Father now also belongs to his children. He said, everything, my son, my daughter, in my house, everything is yours. When the Father claimed you, He didn't just give you His name, He gave you an inheritance, and He gave you His authority. In fact, did you know in Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. <laughs> God took your inferiority and He gave you royal authority. Oh my goodness, let me say it again. God took all of your inferiority at the cross and He gave you His royal authority. You have kingdom dominion, and therefore nothing is impossible for the sons and daughters of God. What, other, what others have called you has been canceled by the one who claimed you. Listen, others might have called you rejected. The Father calls you accepted. Others called you sinner. The Father calls you saint. Others called you a coward. The, fathers call you, the Father calls you a conqueror. Uh, others might have said you'll never be enough. The Father says that in Christ, you're always more than enough. Others called you condemned, but God calls you claimed. Others called you worthless, but on the cross, Jesus bowed his head and said, here is what you are worth to me. Listen to me. Your identity doesn't come from what other people have called you. It comes from Jesus who claimed you. Hallelujah. Third gospel truth that helps you heal from this wound of inferiority. You ready? Number three, your worth does not come from what you do, but from your faith in what Christ has done. Mm. Inferiority will absolutely convince you that you're only as accepted as you are accomplished. But listen to me carefully. The Christ life is never a life achieved. It's a life received. 
Let me say that one more time. The Christ life is never a life achieved. It is a life received by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, period, alone. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. God saved you by His grace when you believed. Watch this. Not when you accomplished. God saved you by His what? His grace. When? When you accomplished so much, when you uh, uh, acquired enough accolades, when you got a bigger platform. No, 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 no. When you got enough followers on social media. <laughs> no, 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 no. You were saved by grace when you believed. And you, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward, verse 9, for the good things we have done. So none of us can brag about it. None of us can boast about it. Hey, listen to me carefully, leader. Listen to me carefully, believer. The pressure's off. You're accepted in the beloved because of the finished work of Jesus and your faith in him. God is not in heaven waiting to see. If you can produce enough to earn his love, he's inviting you to trust in him enough to simply receive his love. But can I tell you something? It takes more faith to rest than it does to work, which is why so many of us are on the treadmill of religious performance, trying to get something from God that's already ours because we wrestle with this. We wrestle with this idea that, that the finished work of Christ is enough. And if we don't think that the work is finished, then we think we've always got more work to do. I'm not talking about not having purpose or not having a calling or not having ministry. No, 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 no. No, I'm talking about trying to earn something from God that can only be received as a gift by faith. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're accepted in the beloved. He's crazy about you. And you ready for this? Hey, you ready for this? He loved you before you put your faith in him. Yeah. God so loved the world. While we were still enemies with God, Christ died for us. Yeah, his love has never been in question. Never been in question. <laughs> so God is not in heaven waiting to see, can you produce enough to earn his love? Nope, he's inviting us to trust him enough to simply receive it. Your worth does not come from your titles. Your worth is not tied to your education. It's not tied to your the size of your platform. It's not in your social status. And your worth is not tied to whatever you think you're able to produce, quote unquote, for the Father. In fact, nothing will cause us to become more confused about what God asks of us like those old wounds of inferiority. I mean, so many sons and daughters in the kingdom of God find themselves miserable and they're afraid to admit it because as believers, we're supposed to be overwhelmed with joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. You know, because rather than when, when we placed our faith in Jesus, rather than live out of the freedom Christ offers, we often, we often just lay down one type of bondage for another type of bondage. We lay down this, this, this bondage to sin for this life-draining bondage to works-based righteousness, where we spend our lives trying to produce enough in our strength to prove to the Father, I'm worth your love, I'm, I'm worth your acceptance. Because we don't understand the difference between producing and bearing. Listen to me carefully. All the good things that God is going to bring out of our lives will be, will be because of the work of the Holy Spirit, helping us to renew our minds with the truth of God's Word, not because of how gifted we are, not because of how talented we are. Let me just take a moment before we wrap up this episode to explain the difference between producing and bearing. God did not ask Mary, the mother of Jesus, to produce Christ. That would have been totally impossible, right? We've touched on this before. But it's important that I come back around and explain this because this is hindering a lot of believers' joy and peace. Not only was Mary a, 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 a virgin, but she was fully human. 
Okay, she, she could not produce the Son of God in the earth. She's entirely incapable. <clears throat> some of us are exhausted and we feel completely inferior because we're trying to produce something in the natural that's completely impossible to produce. Okay, Because that's what we think we have to do to have worth or value to God. But God never asked Mary to produce Christ. He asked her to bear Christ. The Holy Spirit placed the seed of Christ within her. Her job was to bear what God had placed supernaturally in her. She could not make it happen. She had to let the Holy Spirit make it happen. Oh, somebody needs to hear that today. All she could do was bear Christ who could not produce him. Same is true for the fruit of the Spirit. You're not asked to bear, the, you're not asked to produce the fruit. You're asked to bear the fruit. In time, what the Holy Spirit placed inside of Mary grew, and what grew was eventually born. When you were born again, you received the seed of the Holy Spirit as God's seal in your life. God did not ask you to bear the fruit of the, or produce the fruit of the Spirit, rather. That would be impossible to produce it, but he did ask you to bear it, to carry it, to let it grow. And when it's time, it will supernaturally be born in your life. Oh, my goodness. And when we don't understand the difference between pr producing and bearing, we'll go through life feeling completely inferior. Okay, because we can't sustain what we've produced. Let me say that again. You can't sustain what you've produced in your own strength. At least not for long. Because whatever you, you produce in your strength, you have to keep maintaining in your strength. It'll always be temporary at best. But watch this. When we learn how to let the Holy Spirit do His work, and we rest in the finished work of Christ, we rest in the soil of Christ, we learn how to bear fruit rather than strive to produce fruit. Because we can live from a place of rest knowing that he who began a good work will carry it out to the day of completion until Christ Jesus. Listen, your worth doesn't flow from your ability to produce success, salaries, or a sense of accomplishment. It, it flows from you bearing Christ in you. For as Christ is, so are you in this world. Okay. You are not what you do. You are not what you have done. You are what Christ has done for you. And when you discover that your worth comes strictly from Christ, guess what? Criticism, it can't crush you. Okay, you stop striving, you start resting. You stop comparing and you start living your life. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus took your inferiority and gave you his authority. Jesus took your losing record and he gave you his winning record. He took your not enough and gave you his more than enough. And Jesus took your failure and he gave you his favor. Listen to me carefully. In Christ, you're not inferior. You're dangerous. <laughs> Let's recap today's transformational truth. Jesus took your inferiority and he gave you his authority. Listen, if transformational truths is helpful you to helpful <laughs> if transformational truths is helpful to you, please do me a favor, take a moment, go over to Apple iTunes, rate the show, write us a quick review. It helps us get this message out a little bit faster. I want to help you restore the joy to your life and your leadership. Until next time.